Right, so it is our 30th podcast. <gasps> so check me out. I've got, I've got a glass of bubbles here. Oh, have you? I've got my Ribena. Hey, Ribena. <laughs> actually, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say Ribena. No, I shouldn't say Ribena. I've got my pink juice. <laughs> You've already said it. It's a bit late now. Well, you can edit that bit out. <laughs> and, I've got, uh, and I've got some chocolate cake. So there you go. Very nice. Now I'm really, really jealous. I know. I, I suddenly thought, well. I wonder, I, I bet, because it's, cause it's Sunday and it's been crazy, I thought, I bet I bet Sarah hasn't hasn't got anything. So I feel a bit no. guilty now that I'm sitting here with a an alcoholic Smugly beverage on a Sunday evening. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy, Ooh. Rob. Enjoy. I will. I will. It's been a hell of a weekend, I have to say. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. What have you been up to? Well, I still haven't watched Ben Hur Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I watched her last night. I watched Rebecca on Netflix last night. Oh, Lily James, Ben Williams. Yeah, Lily James. That's right. It was it was okay. I kind of skipped to the end, to be honest, because I was getting tired. So didn't have me fully engaged, I would say. But it was a bit eerie. I don't like really kind of eerie British films, to be honest. I don't like like Miss Marple or anything like that. Freaks me really? out. Yeah. Well, have you seen um, Knives Out then? I have seen that, and I'm kind of lukewarm about that. Really? As well. How funny! Mm. This says it's a romantic throwback to classic Hollywood. Lily James, Army Hammer, Kristen Scott Thomas. That sounds quite intriguing. Oh yeah, Christmas. Yeah, she was good at. She mind you, Christian Scott Thomas quite often plays these kind of characters, very stern looking, disapproving that kind of character, and she played that off quite well. Whereas Lily James, bless her, she was so she looked a bit lost, not in, in her acting. It was her character was lost all the time, and, and she started to become a bit more confident in herself as she got more into the film. But yeah, no, it, it's worth watching. But I, I have to say, I it was getting late, and I thought I want to get to the end. And I, I kind of roughly know what could happen, so I skip forward quite <laughs> quickly. And uh, yeah, anyway, but I'm starting to think what's going to be out for Christmas. What's going to be available to watch on the box at Christmas time? I know there's lots of choices, obviously, on the different channels you can watch and different platforms. I'll tell you what I wouldn't choose is Cats and Dogs 3, Pause Unite. <laughs> Did you, you didn't enjoy it then? Did you have a snooze in the end? Well, I didn't have a snooze because I thought that would be so rude because it was kind of like, you know, a father-daughter outing. Anyway, it was awful, but my daughter <laughs> loved it, so forget about my opinion. <laughs> There's also on Disney Plus, there's a film called Soul, I think, that's going to be released. And it might be a premiere film like they did with Mulan. Um, But I looked at IMDb, it's got pretty much the highest animation rating you can get. Really? Yeah, so potentially one to watch over Christmas. Okay, I'll look at that. Right, so this week we had Walk the Line... Mm-hmm. And Point Break. Yep. Which was thoroughly enjoyable. So what are we going to go with first? Should we go with Walk the Line? Let's do that. Okay. Just, sorry. You're enjoying that chocolate cake. Oh, no. <laughs> I really no. want chocolate cake now. Bit oh. too, <laughs> <laughs> bit too much. Okay, let's do this. So Walk the Line, 2005. This is, of course, the biopic of Johnny Cash, directed by James Mangold, starring Wackin' Phoenix, as Johnny Cash, Reese Witherspoon as June Carter, and also Jennifer Goodwin and Robert Patrick. It's based on a book written by Johnny Cash. Uh, also, Jill Dennis, 
James Mangold, also on the writing credits as well, as is Patrick Carr. So we start in 1968. The very opening of this film takes us to Folsom State Prison, where we can hear the inmates cheering and cheering for Johnny Cash to come out and play while he waits backstage near this table saw, which takes us back to his early life, back to 1944, where he's growing up in the Great Depression as a 12-year-old boy with his older brother doing menial jobs at the sawmill. Um, trying to get by, basically, is a family run by their overpowering father, played by Robert Patrick. Their mother very much comes across as this free spirit, what little we see of her. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, I suppose you immediately see how that's probably where he gets you know, the, the, the music side of things and his creative side of things, but his father, complete opposite. And after a tragic accident at the sawmill, which sees Johnny lose his older brother, who he idolizes, he's absolutely torn apart by it. And it's made worse by the fact that his father blames him because he was with him whilst he was working at the sawmill and happens to run an errand, or his brother actually tells him to, you know, just head home whilst he finishes up. And sadly, that's when the, uh, the accident happens. Uh, Johnny eventually manages to free himself from the clutches of his father when he moves out of his Arkansas town to join the Air Force in Germany. And while there, he buys his first guitar and starts to write his own music. And he proposes, which I thought came out of the blue, really, because he never really met his girlfriend, but he proposes to his girlfriend, Vivian, played by Jennifer Goodwin. This is whilst he's over in Germany. When he returns, they get married and settle in Tennessee with their daughter, and whilst harbouring hopes of making it as a musician, he tries his best to kind of do the right thing and support his family by being a door-to-door salesman. But his heart's not really in it. He loves his music. And despite his wife, Vivian, hoping he'll put his family first over his own ambitions as a musician, purely because there's no money coming in, he discovers a man who owns a recording studio, quickly assembles a band and records his first track. In this recording, he's persuaded to ditch his initial track that he records, which they think is very run-of-the-mill, very kind of gospel, and almost bullies him to perform something far more personal. And that's where, you know, almost out of nowhere, you, you hear this incredibly deep baritone voice, these brutally honest lyrics, what we know Johnny Cash to eventually become. And the track does really well, starts getting played on all the radio stations, and soon he finds himself on a short tour, promoting his songs and meets the already famous June Carter, who's this kind of country singer played by Reese Witherspoon. Then as they get on the long-term tours with June, we also find um, in their kind of traveling tour, we have Jerry Lee Lewis and also a young Elvis. Um, and although a romance feels like it's on the cards with June. She's recently divorced herself and she's not in any, really in any position to commit to any relationship with Johnny despite you know, his advances. As Johnny's fame grows, he turns to drink and drugs to mask the strains on his marriage and June leaves the tour because of his behaviour. When he sees June years later at an awards show, he forces her to tour with him again, promising to support her and her two kids. And while the tour goes on, the relationship then starts to really grow between the two. And subsequently, his marriage to his first wife ends. June then really starts to find out just how bad Johnny's spiralling drug problem is. 
and helps to rehabilitate him back to the stage where, and this is almost like the final part of the film, when they're back on stage. And, and I suppose we leave this film with him in a much better place. There is a nice little moment at the end of the film, but I mean, it's probably best to leave it, even though anyone who's a Johnny Cash fan will probably know what happens on stage. So leave it there. It was nominated for five Oscars and won one which was Reese Witherspoon for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role. You would have thought this was a strong enough performance by Phoenix to also win the Best Actor, but he was beaten out to it by Philip Seymour Hoffman for Capote. So it was also nominated for Film Editing, Costume Design, Sound Mixing. Um, I saw this film only once before, which was at the cinema. I'm always curious to see what impact the film has when I saw it at the cinema the first time last week didn't find Mad Max quite as impactful on the small screen which I suppose isn't surprising given the type of film it is this I suppose is a far more intimate portrayal I don't think this mm. is a film that you watch pure, you know for, for the cinematography it's a biography really, yeah exactly it? and it's the power of the two central characters and the power of the two performances and how incredible these actors pour themselves into the singing basically and playing mm. the part and I must admit, I didn't know anything really about much about Johnny Cash. Obviously, I knew about him, but I never really kind of sat down and listened to his music. Obviously, knew a lot of his hits like Ring of Fire. So in actual fact, for me, it was almost a bit of an education as well. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think I wasn't as surprised to see Wackin' Phoenix turn in such an amazing role because I suppose I'd seen Gladiator and you kind of knew there was something about him that was going to kind of break free and become the actor he's become today. But it was so, so fantastic to see Reese Witherspoon. I, I thought she was amazing. I mean, they were both amazing, to be fair. And I think that was, for me, just the biggest, biggest draw of the film. So, yeah. So what did you think? Yeah, I mean, this was the second time I'd seen it. I watched it on DVD, I think, uh, the first time. And yeah, Yakin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon are just fantastic in this film. They're actually performing as well. They are singing and they are playing their musical instruments, which they learned how to play before the shooting of the film. And it just sounds really good. Um, I know that Joaquin Phoenix was a slight pitch higher than Johnny Cash, but by the end of the film, he apparently was hitting those low sort of low notes that Cash was famous for. I would say this was probably their best performance, but it's it's not. I think whatever Joaquin Phoenix puts his is thrown at him, he goes the extra mile. He goes 110%, I would say. And Reese Witherspoon has done some sort of mainstream films and she's done some really strong films as well where she's been up for nominations before. And I know it's, yeah, she totally deserved the Oscar for this. And I think Joaquin Phoenix, he was a very strong candidate, obviously, but, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is also a very strong candidate as well. But whenever he played something, unfortunately he's not around anymore, but he was also a force to be reckoned with when it came to, to acting as well. He was amazing. I would say the acting and singing was exquisite, but I felt there wasn't much of a story I know it's a biography, but really it was two hours, 16 minutes to be precise. And I thought it kind of just plodded along. All right. We had, it tells the story about his brother, his relationship. They're very close. Tragic accident. As you mentioned, he meets a girl, he's, he's strapped for cash and he joins the air force. And he wants to basically get famous and make more money. And he, he writes all these songs 
he marries his girl and you see him in tour he, he cheats not just once several times he cheats and he kind of tortures himself for that I think and and being famous is with the drugs and alcohol and you see this tortured soul and he's tortured also because of the death of his brother and he blames himself for that but it's really you know he, he was very young both of them were very young when they were in that sawmill and, and they shouldn't have been doing that kind of stuff in, in the first place and then um, he meets the love of his life, June Carter. And I looked at it and she, she died in 2003. And I know Johnny Cash died in about five, six months later, heartbroken. Well, my grandparents had exactly the same thing. And it, you just know there's, there's just true love and they're just so heartbroken uh, when one passes away. And I know that June Carter was were quite a bit older than Johnny Cash because he was listening to her as a boy, young boy. And his dad would get very angry with him and tell him to switch it off and, and things like that. But he was he idolised her as a young boy. And then when he got to meet her, it was like, wow, he was just obsessed with her, basically, which was obviously the failure of his marriage. And I find it his success slightly unusual. He kind of he was very persistent, one with his trying to be in that particular career and one with June Carter as well. If he knew what he wanted, he would just go for it and keep trying and trying and trying and he would get it at the end of the day. And that's the kind of character you saw portrayed in this film. And I don't know, I just, I thought there was something missing. I don't, I don't know what it was. It's probably because I should have looked at it as a biography and just seen it, what happened during his life. Whereas you probably would get that if you watched an Elvis movie. But there just wasn't certain things that gripped me really. There wasn't anything that really was very unusual apart from obviously his brother dying he had a horrible dad and then we've seen troubled tortured souls in in as famous people before so I guess there was something missing there for me I mean you could tell Phoenix and Witherspoon were really close on set and I loved the part when he invites Witherspoon's character June Carter to come and sing with him for the first time and Witherspoon just looked She was beaming. She was absolutely in an element singing in front of an audience. And I think she'd be fantastic in theatre. I don't know whether she's done theatre performances before, but they were performing in front of live audiences. You could see she was she she loved it. She just looked very well placed there. Whereas Phoenix playing Johnny Cash's character, he looked a little bit awkward on occasions as well. But that's, I guess, he was portraying Cash at the time. What was interesting is that I read up that Phoenix actually dated the first wife, uh, Jennifer Goodwin, during the film and on set. There was a lot of romance going on, apparently, when they were off set. And what was interesting is that he broke up with her when they were supposed to split up in the actual film as well. And I don't know whether he did that on purpose or whether it was just a coincidence. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the lengths he goes and he's quite, uh, you know, he's quite out there, isn't he? So Yeah, there was a very close relationship with Phoenix. and with, Apparently they made a pact. If one of, one of them wanted to leave or didn't want to continue, the other one would go as well. They were very tight-knit. And that might be what broke up Goodwin and, and Phoenix on set. Maybe there was a real sort of offset relationship, three's a crowd kind of scenario going on. I don't, I don't know. But it, it's just interesting that he happened to break up the, literally the day before they were supposed to film the breakup scene and probably all that aggression that she threw at him was probably real aggression because she was probably very frustrated I can imagine with him 
And apparently Kathy Cash, who was one of the daughters from his first wife, walked out of the screening five times because she didn't like the portrayal of Vivian Cash. And she thought that Johnny Cash didn't spend much time with his kids. And you see, I, I got that as well. I saw that as well. But apparently he did in real life. They were really what the son of Johnny Cash um, said, uh, that they really just wanted to show the relationship between June Carter and and Johnny Cash, really, and didn't really consider, you know, his how how much actually he was quite a good dad to the other kids that he had as well. In some ways, it was a bit of a shame when I heard that because, whilst you have to understand that you can't make a biopic that includes every facet of someone's mm. life, it's impossible. You have to focus on something. So, I totally understand why why they focus obviously on the relationship with June, but I was really quite interested and found the scenes with. Vivian, in some ways, almost the most powerful. And the way in which the marriage disintegrates almost becomes a secondary story that plays out in the Mm. background whilst you're really watching his rise to fame on stage and you're watching his relationship with June. And I kind of agree with you as well. I think there weren't those massive crescendo-like moments that you would almost expect from a film like this. And I was interested to find out that whilst they made the drug problem feel like it was occurring at certain parts of his career, I read that in actual fact, he was almost permanently um, had a drug problem throughout his entire career. And, you know, the, the most he was ever off drugs apparently was just one year but it really was that, constant and yeah. it made me it made me think that they they made more they tried to make the drug problem more dramatic almost as a peak in the actual plot than it probably was because maybe as you say maybe there wasn't anything hugely mm. you know anything of any massive landmark apart from what you'd normally expect from from this kind of story yeah. but it's it's sad it's really sad to think that actually this is somebody's real life this has actually happened he's lost his brother in that way he was then looked upon as you know you're the one that killed your brother kind of scenario and he that he was torturing himself all his life and it's just so sad really when you think about it that actually this really happened it's not made up it's it actually happened and that's what brings it back down to reality and that what drives the interest i think because it's somebody's real life Yes, you're right. I mean, I found it frustrating in some ways. There was the scene where you know he he buys this house um, mm-hmm. by the lake in the woods, yeah. and this was at the point of the film where you know he was effectively well, he hadn't won June's heart, but effectively his other marriage had finished, and it, and it was Thanksgiving, and he had the whole family round, and I kind of thought that might have been a moment where you know those fractious relationships, specifically mm-hmm. the one with his father may have started to heal because he'd had his fame. Although he'd been off, out of the spotlight because of his drug problem, he'd still achieved quite a lot. And even then, yeah. his father spurns him completely. And it was almost quite depressing that even at that point, for his point of view, personally, you feel like there was still almost no redemption in what he'd done. There no, was still, no, he, was des- he was desperate. I mean, and you do see this a lot in the field, but it did come across that he was desperate for his father's approval. Mm. Um, So I'd be interested to know just how genuine that was. And we did get Mm -hmm. a glimpse of it. We did get a glimpse of it at the very end. 
but it really was almost a footnote. It was almost in the dying, mm. you know, it was almost in the mm. dying scenes at the end. And maybe that was the point. You're just supposed to feel this guy's pain the whole way through his life. Yeah. That, he, that he just, he almost just had to live with it. It, it never really properly overcame it apart from that incredible relationship he has with June. I suppose thinking about it, probably that relationship with June is the only thing that keeps him alive. Yeah. I know he was being naughty, but it was obviously, it was meant to be. I mean, he was married to her for quite some time before she died and then he died obviously shortly after and he just obviously just adored her he adored her so i looked at youtube afterwards to see some performances of those two on stage mm, i was interested mm. just to see and i just kind of found ended up seeing a few articles and that couple like june and johnny in america this is they were hugely famous purely as a couple who stayed together for so long and kind of mm. loved each other to their dying day you mentioned them dying months apart yeah and how they very much loved their children and they loved family and it's almost like you say you know that marriage was as big and you know and as important to him as as the marriage that you see in the film with vivian that obviously doesn't mm. you know, like you say you almost feel like vivian must have always known in some ways that he was going to end up yeah with him, he yeah i think he was just very passionate about what he did and that if he as i said before if he saw something he wanted he just went for it he whatever he had to get pestering people he would just pester june all the time to be honest you would get a bit annoyed with somebody that do that quite often but there was obviously she was attracted to him and i think she was kind of a lonely soul on occasions as well i think she liked the attention she liked to talk to someone that was going through something very similar to her as well because she was thrown into stardom as a child, I think, a child singer. He met her when she was sort of in a, must have been sort of late 20 or 20s, and he was just starting out his career, really. But when we've been talking about it, the hairs on my arms have been sort of now and then going, oh, sort of a tingle down my neck kind of, because it's just, it's the fact that it's it's real, and that's what gets to you, I think. And it is, it is a good film to watch. I've stuck with it, or I didn't break at all, stuck with it all the way through. It was, you know, two hours 16, as I said, and, and um, it is a good film to watch, but there, I just think something wasn't there, and it might be because it was just his, his life, really. Yeah. I think it's it was a hard, torturous life in in terms of the the portion that was put to screen for this film. But mm. for me, it's funny how we've talked so much about you know his story and his relationship with, with June. But I think what really captivated me was those two performances. They really were like powerhouse performances. And I think if it wasn't for the strength of those and the strength of their singing and clearly how much they were in those roles, mm. yeah. then perhaps you wouldn't have stuck at it for as long as... as long. Yeah, I have to say, out of all these sort of biographies of, of musicians, this is probably one of my favourites out of, you know, when you watch Bohemian Rhapsody, when you watch Elton John's one. I much prefer this film to that. But very busy, the other two films, whereas this one's a bit, it is slower paced, but it's, I think there's more empathy in there. I mean, with Phoenix and Witherspoon as well, I was looking at what, what else would they got coming up as well. I mean, they're... They're great actor and actress, really. So we got got three coming up for for Phoenix. He's got um, he's playing Napoleon Bonaparte, apparently his story, his life story, and got Joker too. And there's another film as well. And Witherspoon, he's got three that are coming out next year. Two animations, so Sing Two and Tinkerbell. And then um, Legally Blonde is 
coming out, Legally Blonde 3, which is a bit of fun, mainstream again, that she's doing, released next year, and then she's got four in development. So busy, busy lady. Both of them have always done well, as I said, whatever's thrown at them. I would really recommend for anyone who wants to see Witherspoon do something which is really stripped back. Mm. There's a film in 2014 called Wild. Yeah, I watched that. That's good. You know, again, but it's good. just it's just seeing Witherspoon really kind of utilising her acting chops mm. as opposed to in some of her more kind of dramatic yeah. or comedic I roles. She, I think she got nominated for that as well, as well. Yeah, I think you're right. She yeah, produced, she didn't she, get she, it. She got nominated, definitely. She produced that as well. Anyway, go on then, scores. Scores, scores on the doors. Ah, it's really hard. Um, I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten, I think. It's simply fantastic acting. And, you know, they didn't even know how to play the musical instruments before production. So I think it probably is one of my favourite musical biographies. I'm going to give it eight and a half as well. Like you say, there was something missing. I agree. There was something missing to take it up to kind of that nine but it didn't feel right to give it an eight because, like you say, because the two performances. Mm. So, yeah, very much in agreement, eight and a half for me as well. But like you say, I do find it absolutely mind-boggling. And I, and I know they get, you know, round the clock, months to prepare. But when you hear how these actors just, like, from nothing, you mm. know, learn, learn to sing, play musical instruments, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. It makes <laughs> may you think, well, there's, there's hope for us all. Maybe, maybe yeah. it is just a question of lots yeah. of practice that no, what, no, none of us will ever, ever get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the next film is, is something very similar on that front, uh, but all action. So we've gone going from music to, to full-on surfing and skydiving action, I think, with Point Break, aren't we? My name's Johnny Utah! <laughs> Who cares? I always thought Johnny Utah was like a cartoon character. Was... Well, you know, I mean, it's not far off. <laughs> <laughs> So Point Break was released in 1991, directed by Catherine Bigelow. Probably one of her first big break films, well, one of her first big films anyway. She did a couple before, but this is the biggest one. And then a story by Rick King and W. Peter Eilif. And James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow, actually, because there were some Writers Guild issues, they actually finished off the writing and produced the final script, apparently. It stars Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, Gary Boosie, Laurie Petty, John C. McGinley as well, that you might recognise from Scrubs. And I watched this on VHS, I think, the first time, and then DVD this time. And set in Los Angeles, a gang of bank robbers called the ex-presidents rob a few banks and a young FBI agent, Johnny Utah, played by Keanu Reeves, and his new partner, Pappas, played by Gary Boosie, are after them, basically. They discover that the gangs have uh, markings, let's call it, of a surfer. So Agent Utah learns how to surf and tries to integrate more with the surfer gangs to solve their crime and Tyler played by Laurie Petty catches Johnny Utah half drowning whilst he was also learning to surf and she ends up teaching him and falls in love with him and Tyler introduces him to Bodie played by Patrick Swayze and he is one of the leaders of the gangs the uh, the film is fueled with adrenaline and it's and this is really Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze's Purple Patch era it's Keanu Reeves's first action films as well full of action from surfing to car and on the run chasing to skydiving and they look like they're in their element they look like they're having a blast really and it's got a strong star cast and what else can you ask for i really enjoyed it and uh, rob i'd love to get your thoughts on it 
I absolutely loved it. I, sometimes I wonder whether the nostalgia you have for a film clouds your judgment of it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think, you know, it's a bit like when I watched Lost Boys. Yeah. Um, there was just, there was just so much to like about it. I've got to be honest, I don't think you'll see him in many better roles. I mean, I know, yeah. you know, he's known for The Matrix and he did Speed. For me, though, I thought this was perfect for him because it allowed him to almost at times send up himself as how he was looked upon at that time, you know, as the kind of surfer dude. And, and you could tell there's a couple of lines that were almost um, having a nudge, nudge, wink, wink at that. I thought it was a very, very simple story, but in some ways yeah. still very engaging. There was something about these bank robbers that were surfers that were robbing banks following the waves during the summer. And there was something, I don't know, kind of cool about it. And I really like Gary Busey. I always have. And for some reason, those two together, I thought were fantastic. Again, mm. really simple thing. He's the old timer coming to the end of his career and he's got, yeah. you know, he's got this theory that he wants an easy life. And then, the FBI kind of guy comes in and, you know, he's totally the opposite. And I think what works for it is that it's just very well put together. I think Catherine Bigelow does a great job. I mean, the action mm -hmm. sequences are fantastic all the way down to the chase sequences you have. Um, there's a particular scene where, you know, they're stalking this house where the surfers are, are drug dealers and they storm the house and everything goes a bit wrong because there's a guy mowing his lawn and the radio <laughs> breaks down because no one can hear each other and it ends up in a big chase and but it's all done very well all the way through to and i'm sure we'll get onto this very shortly <laughs> these unbelievable skydiving sequences so, so you kind of have the roots of the film is almost like a buddy cop type scenario you've got the real cool factor because there's a bunch of surfers who rob banks. You have that friction between the two alpha males in Reeves and, um, and Swayze. They're both as mad as each other. A simple idea that, that Johnny Utah is drawn into Bodie's world because he's just as much an adrenaline junkie as he is deep down. The lines are blurred between whether he's a cop or he's not, even though when they both know what's going on, which is quite just quite interesting. I mean, I even like the fact that the bank robbers have all the president's masks on. It's not <laughs> it's not like kind of particularly deep stuff. It just seemed to work so, so well. Um, and again, you know, the romance with Tyler and Laurie Petty's character. I mean, obviously completely predictable, but just somehow kind of works. Yeah. The sun's yeah. shining all the time. You know, there's cracking one-liners that come out. You know, I'm, I remember when I watched this in the cinema, it, it just feels very, very much of its time. And 1991, it's almost like if you could pluck 1991 out of the air and plonk it into a film that's just like says, this is cool. I mean, this was at the time when extreme sports was really taking off as well. So, I mean, I had that. But I remember when I watched it in the cinema and it was the same on my TV. That first time you see them skydive over this unbelievable scenery below. I mean, it's truly, and the music, everything about it, it's almost like, it, was, it just felt like a real moment. So just, just how extreme the skydiving sequences were, the scenery, just how well it was all filmed. And, it, and, you know, and you could argue that you knew the ends, you know, the, you knew kind of where the film was going with the 50-year wave in uh, Bell Beach. It's a bit like what the line, you know, the very first part of the film is, is Utah actually years on in the rain in Australia about to kind of go down to Bell's Beach. And then it's wrapped up at the end with him trying to finally get his man Bodhi on the beach who's, who's about to go out 
to tackle this huge wave that he's basically lived his whole life for. And it's all a bit cheesy at the end, but it is cheesy, yeah, isn't it? Did, that's the whole... Well, that's the only cheese. I was about to say, you, you watch these other films, like, the, I don't know, like The Fugitive or some of these action hero films, and they're quite often cheesy. But most of the way through, I didn't think it was cheesy. Uh, it was very enjoyable to watch, and uh, it just looked very cool. They just look like they're having a complete blast. They're having good fun. And, and then at the end was a little bit disappointing I, I didn't think they needed that ending I, did, I think they could have stopped a little bit earlier and just left it hanging potentially but I mean some of the action shots were incredible I mean you got Patrick Swayze who's Mr Action apparently took part and did his own skydiving scenes and then was actually told sorry you can't do anymore because you're <laughs> you're breaking our insurance policy so he had to stop eventually but he would do most of his stunts he would do all the fight scenes um, he apparently cracked four ribs doing surfing scenes. Apparently, even when he was told he couldn't do it, he used to sneak off on his off days and carry on. Yeah, yeah. And then, because <laughs> he was he was a skydiver before as well, he apparently done about 55 jumps or something beforehand or during this time. I think he even took Boosie out after after all the filming because they got on so well. But yeah, some of the some of the stunts were were incredible. I was wondering whether whether they were actually skydiving or whether you know they were stuntmen or not. I assume they were stuntmen doing the skydiving bit. But yeah, when you hear it, that Swayze actually did do it, um, I presume Keanu Reeves didn't. I know that they were also pretty new to surfing. So I think Swayze, Petty and Reeves went to Hawaii to learn how to surf by this famous surfing dude. Again, a bit like Walk the Line, they were all new musicians. These guys were all new to doing surfing and they were taking on these huge waves. But how much of the stunts that Reeves does, I, I, I really don't know. It doesn't say in IMDb. But as I said, it's his purple patch he was doing. He did Bill and Ted Excellent Adventures before that. He was in Dangerously liaisons parenthood i've mentioned many times and then this was his first sort of action action hero film and maybe he went to town on it because he wanted more of this kind of career going forward because he did speed three years later i mean swayze was pretty well known already at this stage anyway because he'd done um just finished ghost which was a huge success in the box office and then a few years before he did roadhouse and dirty dancing obviously as well so he was a big name but uh, and the ages between them swayze was 39 when when he filmed this or when it was released anyway and Keanu Reeves was about 27, 28 so you know big age gap between them really and I would you would say Patrick Swayze although he liked doing his own stunts he was doing a young man's game he was playing a young man's game really and getting 39 onwards you kind of like you could break something quite easily I think people people listening to this may think rubbish rubbish um, you know I'm a an elite runner or whatever and I'm over 40 so take that with a pinch of salt Catherine Bigelow she's got into doing some great films as well I mean that was her first big hit Point Break uh, she's done The Hurt Locker she got an Oscar for that for um, director and best picture uh, Zero Dark Thirty did incredibly well as well um and she, yeah, she's going on doing great, great films. She hasn't done a huge number of films, but they're usually very good quality. And it's interesting that a female director is shooting these real action, gritty kind of films. So, so Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt the same. When I was watching, I thought it's really interesting that this is such a testosterone pumping mm. film, like you say, full of action. The dialogue's very male. 
and yet it's put together by Catherine Bigelow. I mean, I'm not saying that that should be a surprise, but, you know, it's perhaps no. not what you'd expect, but you'd have no, no idea. It was absolutely, you know, I mean, just fantastic from that point of view. I did think it was quite amusing. There was one point in the film where I thought, come on. And it was the scene where Pappas and um, Utah have got the lead that they're going to do one last bank <laughs> job. Yeah, and they're parked up, and Papa says to Rita, "Can you go and get me a these Meat amazing meatball sub or something?" <laughs> so he goes around the corner, and <laughs> the, they turn up in the car, and Lucy's character Papa just totally misses it. He just completely misses it. He's completely distracted, and it all happens behind Utah as he's ordering these. You know, so it's almost very comedic in some ways that this bank robbery is happening behind his shoulder as he's ordering these two sandwiches, and then when he next turns around, <laughs> he just spots the car, but they're already in the bank, so. He He's completely missed it, comes back and says, oh, did you see the red Cadillac pull up? And he said, no. And you think, oh, come on, he's the old timer. You would have thought. And then, like, really, as a result of all of that, all hell breaks loose. And then back at the station, he's rollicking Utah. And it's just like, well, none of that would have happened if you'd actually just done Mm. your job. Well, and also Utah, I think, shouldn't have been in any of the scenes taking the, the surfer gangs down either because it went horribly wrong. It's blown his cover completely as well. Yeah. So there was twice where that happened and he shouldn't have been there or involved at all because his no, cover but, was completely blown. But I suppose that's yeah. when they just have to say, well, sod it, with, but that's what makes the film. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the point where Utah knows that Bodhi knows... They both know, and and you know what? The, the, quite a lot of the film ha- goes past before they one of them says something, and I thought that actually that part of the film is where everything really starts to get ramped up, and it's quite enjoyable. And I loved it when Utah suddenly says, "Come on, Bonnie, the game's up. I'm an FBI agent," and Faye <laughs> just says, "Yeah, any wild? You know what I mean?" It's just like, yeah, that's basically just sums oh, yeah. the whole film up. That sums everything up. So like, who cares? We're just gonna, yeah, and we carry on going. We're gonna go on another crazy skydive. Except this time, obviously, he's left in the plane. And that scene where Reeves, well, obviously, it's not Reeves, is it? But when Utah jumps out of the plane whilst after Bodie and the other guy have gone with shoots on and he just jumps how, out of the how plane. How crazy is that? Yeah. How crazy. And, and, he's, and of yeah. course, you know, he slowly catches up Bodie and you have this incredible... And he's a beginner. It's like his second jump. Yeah, I know. Totally. <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. But I... All right, that bit was cheesy as well, maybe. Yeah, well, yeah but there was the thing is, there were so many... There were so many cheesy moments that were kind of almost so cheesy mm. they're cool. And yeah. there were other cheesy moments, maybe like the bit at the end, which just yeah. weren't cool. You know, it wasn't necessarily yeah. needed. It was just one of those type of films. But I loved it. I mean, I just loved it. Yeah. I mean, there were some similarities, I have to say, when I was watching it. It reminded me of Lost Boys, simply because it was a guy trying to integrate with a group of surfers in this case. And there was, well, they just sort of surfer dude floppy hair. And that's what you got in the Lost Boys as well. It's very similar. Although Lost Boys was, what, four or five years earlier. Yeah, it was only four. Yeah. But this seemed a bit cooler it's just because of the extreme sports and the, the surfing and the yeah. skydiving and yeah, the fact that bank robbery stuff not vampire flying no <laughs> a bit more realistic i guess yeah. no yeah i really enjoyed it as well so go on then rob what you gonna i'm gonna it? give it, i mean this is daft but i'm gonna give it nine purely because although like it's it's not that's not because it's like a critically lauded <laughs> film by any no. stretch of imagination yeah just if i'm giving it a nine does that almost mean it's like creeping into guilty pleasure category i don't know but who cares i loved it i forgive it for any of it in some ways it's a bit over the top purely because it's Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze at their coolest 
yeah, over the top definitely. best and yeah. the action sequences are unique for its time still quite unique and they still blow me away and yeah i'm a sucker for it yeah no i i loved it as well and, and I, i'm regret giving i'm going to be honest and i regret giving the lost boys eight and a half because i don't think it actually deserved to be eight and a half i think i should have stuck with my eight originally and that's my fault isn't it didn't yeah, they talk it was you up she <laughs> did talk me around because i think this is better than lost boys it's um, definitely better than lost boys but i am going to give it eight and a half because i think the ending shouldn't have ended like that i just feel it could have they could have cut it earlier and they could have been they could have been point break too <laughs> that's what it's that's what this is really about we just wanted another one bit more Keanu and uh Swayze at the time yeah maybe anyway so on to uh this week's choices on to this week's okay I'm gonna pick one first is that okay go on then. yep go for it fantasy fantasy I've got six Okay, then I will go with what you put down as your one of your early choices, maybe the first choice, number one. It is Big, uh, 1988 with Tom Hanks. Ah, oh, bit a of, bit of Hanks, classic comedy, Hanks. comedy and fantasy, yeah. So Big, starring Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Perkins and Robert Loggia. And after wishing to be made big... A teenage boy wakes the next morning to find himself mysteriously in the body of an adult. Yeah, I love I love this film. So it's streaming on Disney Plus. It's rental or buy off Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Sky Store, Rakuten TV, YouTube, etc., etc. Okay, your turn. Have we had sci-fi yet? We haven't had sci-fi. Sci-fi. Okay, right. So sci-fi. I have got thirteen. Mm. I'm going to go for number seven, please. Oh, do you know what? We've already watched one of these. One of these films. It's from the Alien franchise, and it is the very first one. It's Alien. All right. Okay. Cool. Good. That is classic. Yeah. I mean, very it's, good. It's, I mean, the thing is, we had Alien too, but as we obviously, if most people know, and as we said on the podcast, that is a very different type of film to it this is. one. Yeah, I think so. I would agree with that. So this is Ridley Scott's directing, starring Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt. After a space merchant vessel receives an unknown transmission as a distress call, one of the crew is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realise that its life cycle has merely begun, as if I need to tell anybody about the storyline to Alien. It is streaming on Now TV and Sky Go, and you can rent or buy off Amazon Prime, Sky Store, Rakuten TV, YouTube, etc., etc. So what's that? Alien, Alien, and Big. Two very different films. <laughs> they are very different films. Yeah. Uh, uh, big is. I love Big as well. I don't. You know what? I don't think I've actually seen Big like <gasps> properly. No, properly from start to finish. I mean, obviously, I know a lot about it, but I don't know if I actually sat down and watched the entire thing. This is yeah. that was around the time he did Splash as well, wasn't it? It was around that. Yeah, it was in his purple patch when in younger days. But he's always been popular, isn't he? He's always. I was going to say something. he always has. But he, uh, in it, yeah, definitely a, a younger Tom Hanks. He's got a lot of charm. Absolutely. Lovely. Well, and that draws to a close number 30. 30 podcasts. I know, my goodness. So that's, we would have watched after these two 60 films. 
60 films which we may not watch before having done this, which is... I know, I know. Some of them I probably wouldn't have watched necessarily, definitely. I can pick a few you definitely wouldn't have watched, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Vertigo Vertigo comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting to see whether you've got Psycho or something like that on your horror. (laughs) I've never watched that either, so we'll wait for that one, eh? Um, but no, both good films, and uh, congratulations, uh, and on your thirtieth uh, as well. So um, thank you. You know, I mean, I I think I still look thirty. You know, I try and I try and carry it off. <laughs> yeah, add a, add a few more years on. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Well, anyway, enjoy your wine and chocolate cake. Or have you already demolished it by now? I've already demolished it before we even started talking about what they oh. are. <laughs> So I really just been waiting for an excuse to get a top up. So no, I'm going to go and get my, my Sunday roast. Sunday oh, roast that sounds good. That in some ways that sounds better for the top up. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Me, I haven't got any chocolate cake in the house. <laughs> Have a little celebratory drink, maybe at the end of your roast for for thirty episodes. Yeah, and wait until we get to like fifty. That would be uh, that would be a big one. Yeah. Well, we have to think. I believe just through lockdown we've done 30 episodes. It's absolutely bonkers. There's still a lot of films left on the list, though. Oh, yeah, it's late. Especially on my guilty pleasures list. Sure. All right, oh, I bet you look. can't wait for that one, can I you? I cannot wait. I cannot wait. You're desperate for me to pick out guilty pleasures. I am. I really want you to pick a guilty pleasures. Go on. Pick one out. I don't want it. I want guilty pleasures. Yeah. Okay. So, All right, well, anyway. have a great week. Yep, and you. Thanks, listeners. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.